This episode is brought to you by McDonald's. Not sure you've heard of them. <laughs> Up and coming uh, little restaurant, but they're making it. They're the little engine that could. You know, the moment of bliss when you spot your fries being scooped into the carton and suddenly time slows down. I have that all the time. I love their fries. Oh, yeah. yes. McDonald's fries hit different when they're free. That's another thing I'll tell you. And when they belong to your friends, there's no better feeling than thinking you're out of fries and then you discover extra fries at the bottom of your bag or else my son still hasn't finished his fries yeah. and I'm done with mine. And uh, he used to be weaker than me so I could just take them. Yeah. Now I can't because he's stronger than me. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's no wrong way to eat McDonald's fries, but we all think our way is the best way. And I like stealing them from someone else. That's my favorite <laughs> way. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. McDonald's, check them out sometime. They're everywhere. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. My name is Angela Kinsey, and I feel zippy about being Conan O'Brien's friend. Hi, my name is Jenna Fisher, and I feel super duper excited about being Conan O'Brien's friend. Fall is here, hear the yell, back to school, ring the bell, brand new shoes, walk in blues, climb the fence, books and pens. I can tell that we are gonna be friends Yes, I can tell that we are gonna be friends Hello and welcome to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. I am your host, Conan O'Brien. Although you can call me just Conan. You know, I'm getting very self-conscious about the intros because I've been listening. I never listened to a lot of other podcasts and now I'm listening to other podcasts and they're a little more formal when they open the show. And I realized that I'm not. And I think that's why I just started so formally, which is not my way. Usually I don't think about it at all. And that's a better way to go. I've noticed in the first line, you'd go formal right out of the gate and then immediately lose it the next yeah. line you speak. I was yeah. going to say, I agree. I, I think you'd start off very like, hello, this is Conan O'Brien needs a friend. I'm Conan O'Brien. It's like you have a voice that you do and then you quickly snap out of it. Yes, yes. Because I get this idea in my head. I When I hear other people do podcasts, they start with this kind of authority. And I feel like I shouldn't, I don't have that. I don't know. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. You I, go from like seventies radio DJ to basement podcaster. <laughs> well, because I, I forget that I'm what it is we're doing. At the yeah. beginning, Matt, when you say, okay, Conan, get us started, you can go now, three, two, one. It's very natural. That's, that's not a natural place to start from. So yeah. I go, hello, and welcome to Conan O'Brien. And I'm like, welcome to PBS NewsHour. Tonight <laughs> yeah. we'll be talking yeah. about the ancient Incas. Uh, Did they really have their own calendar? You know, and But we're not, that's not us. No, I know it's not us, but when we start, and I'm on my own for about, I would say it only lasts for about eight seconds, but that's what I do. Then I realize I'm just with you knuckleheads and what are we doing? And I, re I, f I remember my own absurdity as a human being. And then we're, the next thing you know, we're just talking like this and I'm saying cockaroo and, and whatever. <laughs> 
whatever else. But I realized just now, I don't know why, but this is the first time I realized that I do get into my head when I do an introduction sometimes. Yeah, you do it so formally that it makes me feel like, wait, are we more important than I know? And no, then, trust yeah, me, we're not. No, no. 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 it goes Hello. away. I just, you know. Well, I but laugh I need a- every time. Uh-huh. Every Hello. time you have a serious voice, it makes me laugh. Yeah. Do you notice that Sona and I share a look on the Zoom every time, look checking in with each other going, he's doing it again. <laughs> Hello and welcome. But so it should just be more like, hey there, going on O'Brien, that kind of thing. Is well, that that's, that's a little too dismissive. I should just be you. Well, see, no, it's, it's, this is, uh, man, this, uh, you can't get in your, you can't get in your head, you know, you just can't get in your head. And now what I've heard is that's too formal and that's too informal. Okay, now I'm in my head even further than I was when we started. <laughs> yeah. You know? Let's try a couple of really right now, a couple of okay. just give me a couple just point to me, say go or action, and I'll give you let's do like three or four in a row and see if we can find it. Sounds good. Three, two, one, go. It's Conan O'Brien needs a friend. I'm no that's <laughs> another one, quickly, quickly. <laughs> three, two, one, go. Have we got a show for you? <laughs> show. Quickly again. Come Three, on. two, one, go. Hi, it's Conan. You know me. I'm the same guy you've been chilling with since 1993. No. That's pretty good. I haven't changed. Uh, still the guy you didn't like then and you grew slowly to like last year. How about that? That's not bad, but I think you should just open with a cockaroo. A cockaroo. Welcome to Conan O'Brien. Yeah, or maybe, I mean, that's the other thing too, is we're not, we should have a morning zoo energy where you and Sona are making a lot of noise and you have, and I'm like, all right, you guys, knuckleheads, quiet down. We got a lot of traffic on the 101 freeway. And today we're talking to a sex therapist. I was, I'm looking through the glass right now. She's brought nine dildos. Whoa. We're getting a call right now. It's, it's bees man. Bees man's out and he's bothering women on Ventura Boulevard. What's up, bees man? <laughs> I just bothered some ladies. Yeah, bees man. Go, man. Go. <laughs> right, let's get the sex therapist in here. That's the kind of show we need to be doing. Well, yeah, somewhere near that. That's pretty yeah, good. That works. All right. Hello and welcome to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. Because I'm excited about our guest today. My guests uh, starred as Pam Beasley and Angela Martin on the Emmy award-winning NBC series, The Office. Now they host their own smash hit, this thing's huge, podcast, Office Ladies, which was named this year's Podcast of the Year at the iHeart Radio Awards. They're also working on a book, Office BFFs, Tales of the Office from Two Best Friends Who Were There, which will be released next year. Very excited to talk to them. Jenna Fisher and Angela Kinsey, welcome. I am so happy that both of you agreed to come on the podcast. I'm thrilled, thrilled to have you here. And, um, you know, this is your chance to ask me questions. That's all I'm going to (laughs) do. Are we in? Wait, are we interviewing you? I'm so excited. (laughs) I'm trusting that you stayed up all night coming up with questions and go. No, thank you for being here. Thank you very much. I have questions for you both. Normally, it's weird because you do your podcast in the same studio where I do my podcast. And pre-COVID, I used to see you guys there. 
And it was kind of nice. And we had a little bit of that podcast energy. We were podcast pals over at Earwool Studios. Yeah, we had like in the hallway camaraderie. I'd be like, hey, Conan. You'd walk by tall person walking. and That's all you got is tall person? <laughs> Why not? The air crackled with a raw sensuality. What's wrong with oh, that? Oh, you should write like lady romance novels. Like the, ones by the, the ones by the register at the grocery store. I do. I do under an assumed name. Name, and uh, they don't sell. You got to put them on Netflix. <laughs> yeah, I will. I'll get. I'll get a deal. But no, it's nice. But now uh, we're doing this for now over Zoom. Mm-hmm. So uh, tell me where you guys are. Like Jenna, where are you right now? I am in my closet. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, uh, this is where you. T- you tend to podcast from your closet. This is the only quiet place in my house because it's you know a tiny room within a larger room. So there's many doors that I can shut to my whole family who is home with me all the time. Jenna, did you just explain to me what a closet is? I believe is what you did? <laughs> if you're not familiar, I have it's never, a tiny no. space within a larger space. <laughs> I live in a giant mansion and uh, the tiny space inside a larger space is what we call my living room. Um, <laughs> uh, no, we have so much to talk about. First of all, I just want to say that The Office is the show that is constantly playing in my house because my daughter loved The Office and then my son discovered it and decided watching all of the episodes once isn't enough. He needs to watch all of them five times. And uh, I just think the fact that you're doing this podcast was a genius idea. Well, you know, we hadn't seen a lot of the episodes since they aired. So we've been rewatching the show and it's really good. Yeah, it holds up. It holds up. If you were, if you're curious, it news totally flash holds up from us. It's really quite good. I gotta say, I watched it all the first time. Not a fan, you know. Really, just really down on the producing of it. Not, I'm not a Greg Daniels fan, and uh, I really thought the lighting was off. And mm-hmm. uh, no, I loved it first time around. And then what I love about the show particularly, is that it's evergreen comedy. Well, you know, there was something that came up on an episode. Angela, do you remember when there was that whole conversation where Kelly is trying to explain how a Netflix queue works? Mm-hmm. And we had a, got a lot of fan mail from people. They're like, what is a Netflix queue? What is she talking about? <laughs> they weren't familiar with, because, you know, it's a whole generation, new generation yes. of people mm-hmm. who watch it now. They were not familiar with what Netflix used to be, which was a company that sent you individual DVDs of things in to the watch. mail You're in the mail in yes. the mail yeah. it's one of those things that pops up it's like when you're watching a movie and someone gets a call and they take out a cell phone <laughs> and immediately you're taken out of the movie because the cell phone is uh the size of like an industrial cinder block or it's a flip phone and oh, suddenly yeah. it could be the most brilliant piece of acting I'm like, what? Flip phone? I don't think so. Yeah, exactly. Boo. And I walk out and it turns out that it won like nine Oscars. Uh, (laughs) So yeah, you're right. We're all trapped uh, in those moments. I I think one day, I don't know how it came up, but I remembered shooting something the second time I did the Emmys, I shot a cold open where I came in through the ceiling of the Mm -hmm. office. And so I remembered having that experience of going over to your set, crashing through the ceiling onto Dwight's desk and having all these interactions with you guys. And it came out really well. I was really happy with it. So I told my kids that I dropped through the ceiling and fell into the world of the office and that it was all shot just like the office. And 
they acted like I had been a member of the Beatles for a year. You know what I mean? Like it was just, it blew their minds to the point that I was insulted. <laughs> like, come on. I have a picture of you. We both have photos of the day you came to set if you want us to text it to your kids. In I mean, not directly books. to your children. I'm not going to text your children, but I no, can text I, it I think, to you. I don't see any reason why I shouldn't give my children's phone numbers now and and leave it in the podcast. So I'll do that now. Here we okay. go. My son, no, uh, I remember it being, first of all, it was, it was really fun. Uh, and this is just for Office fans listening. Um, I was stunned <laughs> at the neighborhood. It's a, it's a really a testament to the production of this show. I just was picturing I'm so used to it being Dunder Mifflin being in this part of Pennsylvania and it being snowy and cold a bunch of the time. And I remember driving to this, uh, well, I'll just say it, the most industrial part of Los Angeles you can imagine. Mm -hmm. And I cannot impress enough on people listening right now. You'd never in a million years believe that you could shoot anything outside this place and make it look like the East Coast. I think in one building nearby, they were making airplane parts. And in another building nearby, they were making pornography. That's what it, I think that's what was happening. Right. And then there's a building where they cremate people. What are those called again? A crematorium? Those are Thank crematorium. you. Crematorium, yeah. That, you, you drove past that every day. You can add a torium to anything and it oh. becomes the room where that happens. <laughs> Oh, like, so yeah. I'm in my closetatorium right now? <laughs> yes. You are. Yes, and I'm in my masturbatorium. So it's oh. just all, did I go too far? Sona, weigh yes. in. Yes, yes, always. Okay. Yeah. Apologize. No, it's very industrial. There's a gunnery. We were across from like a junkyard and people would come and get in fights because their car had been towed and there was like a junkyard dog that we were really worried about, Jenna. Remember, we're like, we think it needs water, but we're scared of it. We have an episode coming up, Chair Model, where um, there's a line where Pam says, we walked past a junkyard dog eating some chicken today. And that was that line was created because that happened when when we walked to work. It's incredible because I can tell from the camera angle whenever you're looking out the window and someone's in the office and looking down and maybe Dwight's having some inter interaction in the parking lot or something's happening in the parking lot. You can You can tell that it's this one shot that you can get that's still believable if you add a little bit of fake snow as and, and everyone's acting a little chilly, it looks like it's potentially Western Pennsylvania, but that's about it. If you widened out a little bit, you would see that you're in an incredibly, <laughs> I can't say it enough. I was scared. A car yeah. picked me up to take me to this shoot and it took me to, it was like, you're going to the side of the office. And I thought, well, this'll be cool. And uh, I thought I was going to get murdered. I mean, yeah. I remembered looking out the window and thinking, I'm not getting out of the car. Get out of the car. <laughs> is this is where they well, shoot the office. This is there was, awful. If, if you look in the parking lot of Dunder Mifflin, there's a dense, dense hedge around this whole yes. parking lot. Because if you saw the other side, you would be like, lock it up. <laughs> Let's get out of here. <laughs> There's a lot to talk about here. Uh, first of all, Angela, you and I have a very special connection. Yes. Uh, having been married uh, <laughs> briefly. It was a two-hour- Nasty hour divorce. Are we going to get into it? <laughs> it was a two-hour marriage and an incredibly nasty divorce. Um, 
Uh, <laughs> I was happy. I don't know why you were so upset. Um, no, uh, you were an intern on my show, and there's actually an office connection because it. Uh, you were an intern. Uh, John Krasinski was an intern on my show. Um, who else was? Uh, Mindy. Mindy Kaling was an mm -hmm. intern on my show. Uh, did, did we have any personal interactions? We did. I got in an elevator with you one time and I, I was told basically not to talk to you, which I know you <laughs> talked about when Keenan was on, like they were like, don't really chat him up. And I didn't, and, and I never said that. I never told anyone that they used to tell people, look, he's the star of the show. So don't talk to him and don't make eye contact. And I found out later on, I just thought I had an odor. <laughs> I I desperately wanted to chat everybody up. Well, you were really nice. You said, how's it going today? And I was so surprised that you spoke to me. I think I really fumbled it. I said something like, I'm having a pleasure. I don't know what I said. This is <laughs> <Right>. really awkward. <laughs> I remember um, and, that. That's when, we, that's when we moved you out very quickly. Yeah. And, then, and then I became Max Weinberg's intern. Right. And so then I was in the studio a lot, which was so fun. It just was electric every night. I loved every minute of getting to be in the studio. Not so much so fun getting everyone coffee, but you know, that's part of being an intern. Yeah. When I first got started out in started in show business out in LA, uh, Greg Daniels, he and I got jobs uh working at the first comic relief. I think it was in 1986. And our and we were each assigned a celebrity. He got Dennis Miller. And, and I was assigned Estelle Getty from the Golden Girls. <laughs> and my job was she kept sending me out to get coffee and then to get Rolaids and then to get, and I was like, yes, Miss Getty, yes, Miss Getty. And I would run around and I wanted, I mean, not no knock to Estelle Getty. She was wonderful, but I remembered there were so many legends there. And I, 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 I just, I don't know. That was not the person I would have chosen myself. You know, my job was to ask the band if they wanted any like snacks or food or anything. And then I'd go get their food. That's one of the things when the band. And do you remember when Rusted Root was there, Conan? We've done like 3,000 episodes. <laughs> so no, I don't well, remember what Rusted Root was. Well, they Root got was. a nickname pretty quickly. I don't know who started it. I didn't, I, I didn't label them this. But when you open the door, there was an odor and um, <laughs> they were labeled Stinky Root. Um, and that's what, whenever they would come, it'd be like stinky root and the interns love the joke. Okay. It's not playing as well here. But. Well, no, we can add laughs later. Oh, wait, oh, thank no, we you. Can't. Thank we you. Can't afford the that. interns really liked that. <laughs> was guys. it, was it, uh, was it a marijuana scent or was it body odor? I think it was body odor. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's, that was common among certain musicians who decided that their, their own, uh, essential oils, uh, helped with them with their creativity. Um, Michael Stipe, I'll just put it out there from REM. <laughs> oh, God. Wow. Guy didn't We're going to get mail. We're gonna no, get he didn't believe in it. He didn't believe in it. And so he would come on the show and I would see, uh, it was, it was, wow. It was amazing. It was, it was <laughs> as if he had just been hella vacked out of, uh, being lost in the woods for like nine weeks and then dropped into the couch next to us. Wonderful man, amazing musician. And he would probably tell you himself, yeah, man, bathing, not my thing. <laughs> Um, can I can I take us on just a quick tangent because it's oh, on my please, mind? Please, uh, it's just something I want to get off my chest, which is that I feel like this job of asking interns to get coffee for people or just any sort of. I worked in admin for a long time. I had to make a lot of coffees. I feel like you're really setting setting the person up to fail, you know. Unless it's like black coffee, I can't sip it. 
and see if I got the right ratio of milk and sugar. <laughs> it's something I, I've been wanting to say for a long time, and, and I, this felt like the space. And this is your moment to advocate for interns? Uh, Jenna, I've never disagreed with anyone more <laughs> about anything. Why? Uh, how uh, many, how many cups of shitty coffee have you gotten from an intern? A lot. Probably a lot. First of all, I have a system. The intern oh. brings it to Sona. Sona gives it to me. And then I lose my shit on Sona, right, Sona? Yes, that's exactly what happened. I know when you were saying interns, I was like, and assistants. No, no, no. Also assistants. What I set up a system a long time ago is Sona and I are secretly, uh, we're good friends. We're good pals. But I've decided I'll just, I'll save all my rage for Sona. And then when I see the intern, I'm like, great job. Uh, mm, and if you ever, mm -hmm. you know, yep. see what I'm saying? So Sona sees this horrible monster, this Stalin-esque figure of, uh, of rage and just arbitrary injustice. Mm -hmm. And then the, what they see is the person they want to see. But also let's attack another issue. I can't go get my own coffee. Okay. I you're mean, too busy. You're busy. He's oh, not that, oh, he's not no, that busy. Angela, no, that's not, not what I'm talking oh, about. Okay. I'm talking <laughs> about people, if I went outside into the world, people would just lose okay. their shit. You I know what I'm saying? You. Yes, I hear you on that, but I'm saying office <laughs> and there's like a coffee pot. You can walk and pour a cup of coffee. No, I can't. I'm too important. <laughs> uh, no, you're absolutely right. To get back to it, I, I went on a long rant, but Jenna, you're right. This is what I'm saying. I've been on the giving end of the coffee. I've been on the receiving end of the coffee. And I just think maybe there's a tiny part of world peace that could be achieved if we all just got our own coffee. <laughs> okay. I am going to pretend to agree to this now on the podcast. You, are you secretly texting someone to get you a coffee right now? Is I'm not even, Sona can just, look, Sona's looking at my face and she can see. <laughs> well, actually, uh, I don't, if I had the time to go get it, I would rather get it myself because I'm, I am finicky about how much, the, the ratio, I get finicky about the ratio. And when you ask for could I get milk or almond milk in my coffee? And it comes back and it's it's slightly off black. It's mostly black, but basically what they did is just showed the cup of coffee to a cow, but they didn't they didn't touch. Yeah. And that's supposed to be the amount of milk that you get. There were so many things I thought we would talk about today. <laughs> and I did not see this one coming. I'm just just gonna tell you. Can I tell you something? I have a complicated <laughs> map I've written out of the conversation. <laughs> And it it's says, like a beautiful mind over there. What's happening? Yeah, I, I, you think this is all an accident and this is just an unprepared fool uh, blithering and blathering, but no, I had every intention of getting to coffee <laughs> and I knew Jenna's passion. You knew just how to trigger me. Mm -hmm. I triggered you in just the right Setting way. You, up. you know, I, I think that obviously there's terrific writing on The Office, but I think one of the great testaments to that show and why it works so well is I can tell that uh, the cast, all of you are so naturally funny. And one of the genius things about The Office, and I've, I've known this for a long time, is that you were all encouraged to be part of the creative process. There's a lot of shows where they say, the writers are over there, they're chiseling on the tablet, and then the tablet will come down from the mountain and you have to treat that like gospel. And on your show, there was you can tell you all have different chemistries, I think. And, and one of the reasons why the show is so enduring. That was all Greg. And um, to Greg, any idea is a good idea. It doesn't matter where it comes from. And he, he wanted to hear what everybody thought. You know, in doing the podcast, we found out this great piece of trivia that 
Dwight's obsession with Battlestar Galactica, that came from a pitch from our editor, Dave Rogers, when he was meeting with Greg. And Greg ran with that. And we would go sit on our editor's couches and we'd be up in the writer's room. And I've done a lot of shows since. And I never even met the editor. I don't know their name, but I still trade emails with um with Dave and Dean and Claire, who edited our show. And it just goes across all departments. I mean, Angela, one of our grips built Angela a little like cat shack for her apartment because yeah, Dale built me a litter box for my cat. We had this idea called the Caddy Shack, be a litter box that hangs off your window if you live in an uh-huh. apartment. And Dale and I sketched it out, and he built it. But I feel like Greg started this whole environment of this creative partnership, and everybody got to know each other in a way I've never had on any other show. And Greg has this curious mind, you know, and yeah. he he really chats up everybody about an idea. And then he brings all of that to the page. And it just trickled down, I feel like, to the whole show. Jenna, I know that you you worked briefly as a receptionist in oh, real life. Over, over eight years, I worked in administrative assistant work. Yeah, I had many jobs. I was a, a temp for many, many years. But then I also you know, had some full-time jobs uh, all while I was a struggling actress. That was my gig. You know, I was never a a waitress. I didn't work in food service, really. Um, I did the admin route. I I had taken a typing class in high school, and I was a really, really good typist. And so I kind of funneled that into, you know, how I made my dough. Yeah. I briefly, this is when I was working with Greg, we were between jobs. He got a gig as a preparing kids for at the SAT, and I got a job as a temp at Wilson's House of Suede and Leather <laughs> just because, and they kept hiring me because I was a really fast typist. I sat there outside the office of this, it, it sounds like a, a porn script, but this very attractive woman who would walk in wearing like red cowboy boots would walk in, and I was her young male assistant. Uh, only, um, uh, she, you know, she, I don't think ever saw me that way. Did you see her that way, Conan? I may have seen her that way, but, uh, I was 22 and I didn't hit puberty until I was 32. <laughs> so there was nothing, I could, there was nothing I could do, but, but, uh, I, I remembered it all being, oh, I'm a good typist. And that opens up some doors for you or did back in the day. I don't know that it would anymore. Well, yeah. I mean, also back in the day. You know, accuracy was a big part of typing. and Something you should know about Jenna is that she brings up quite a bit her accuracy um, <laughs> level. Um, it's very important to her because uh, it's, it's – uh, <laughs> You know, anyone can type garbage quickly, Angela, <laughs> but typing actual words is where it's at. Mm-hmm. Okay? I know. I know. I'm very – Proud of you on your accuracy. I'm glad I finally know where it's at. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know where it was at. That's where it's at. It's accurate typing. Mm -hmm. That's right. Uh, Wow. Well, you know, it's funny because, I mean, this is the the mind-blowing thing. And uh, this is what I I, I really think people need to know. You sat at a reception desk for eight years uh, in the real world, and then you played a person who did that on TV. Yeah. If they had to pick up image of receptionist on TV, I think it's you. That's that breaks my brain. It's it's super weird. It's like I was doing this sort of secret actor prep. 
but I didn't know it. But That's I what truly what yeah, I, I truly was um a young girl, an artist, sitting behind a reception desk, wishing for something more out of her life. And then I was cast as a girl sitting behind a reception desk, wishing to be an artist who wanted more out of her life. And I brought so much of that yearning and struggle to the character of Pam because I had lived it. That blows my mind. I mean, even I mean, I know it, but when you say it out loud again, it's just like very matrix, you know, I'm like, oh, my God, what's real? I worked at 1-800-DENTIST, and I volunteered to be on the party planning committee for extra money for their holiday Christmas party. And the woman that ran the party planning committee was the manager that that and she took it super seriously. And she actually yelled at me about how I tied a bow on a banister. And so <laughs> that was just crazy to me when we first did those party planning committee scenes that I you had, had been down that road. I had done that. But um, then I was I was the snarky lady now. Yeah, exactly. And I want to talk about that for a second because your look of uh, disdain, Angela, is one of the best I've seen in comedy. Your just ability to have this withering look of disdain. And I'm th- I'm wondering if playing that for so long and and so well, has that influenced how people treat you when you walk in the world? Always. Everywhere I go. I'm really chatty. I want to talk to you. I want to know what you got in the seasonal aisle. Oh, my God, it's 4th of July. Where'd you get that candle with the flag on it? That's so great. And I, I say those things. And people are like, well, uh, they they just don't know what to do with me when they meet me. Do you have situations ever where people assume that maybe you're not a nice person or that you're dour because they associate you with that character? Oh, yeah. And you know what doesn't help is that my resting face now is just this. It's just okay, like... We're on a podcast, so I have oh, to right, describe right. what's happening. My, my resting face just looks like Angela Martin is really pissed off, but that's my resting face. And so I've had people online, like if I'm you know, posting something, they'll say, oh my gosh, you have resting Angela Martin face is what they call it. But that's just my face. I, I was at a wedding in Las Vegas, having a great time years ago, and I got in the elevator, and the elevator was like the 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 mirror, you know, the mirror box, yeah. basically elevator. Yep. And a older man patted me on the shoulder, and he said, "It's going to be okay." And I thought, <laughs> "What is he talking about? I'm having the best day." And I looked, and my face was like Angela Martin face. <laughs> You're trapped. No, no. Where else can you go surfing and skiing the same day, huh? I don't know. Or check out a world-class art museum and then camp at a dark sky sanctuary that night, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Where else can you hike through Redwoods and then get a luxury spa treatment? Where? Well, you live there. California. (laughs) California, Sona. No matter where you go across the state, you'll find a way to play. I'm a California resident. So are you. Sona, you are a lifelong California resident. I'm a lifer. I love this place. This is a beautiful state. Gorgeous. So many different, wonderful ecosystems in one state. You can hang out by a Palm Springs pool. You know, you can go whale watching. You can go hiking in Yosemite. And then uh, talk about the great cities in California. You get all this amazing food, sushi, whatever you want. They got it in California. Hey, If you can't find it in California, man, you got a problem. Yeah. I shouldn't have done that. I made that up on my own. Anyway, I love California. Discover why California is the ultimate playground. Head to visitcalifornia.com to start planning your trip today. (laughs) 
know, it's incredible to have the flexibility to work in all sorts of places, whether it's taking video calls from the park or emailing large files while you're grocery shopping. Sona, this is good for you. Is it? Because you're always doing whatever work you do for me from fun locations. But I like blaming it on not having reception. I know, but you can't do that here. Working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network, which is why you should check out T-Mobile, Sona. Then you got no excuses. They're America's largest and fastest 5G network. With T-Mobile, you'll be covered in more places with the 5G speed you need for your life on the go. Plus, they also cover more highway miles with 5G than anybody else. Check it out if you don't believe me. Hey, Blay, you've got T-Mobile, right? I do. I was actually just up in the woods in Idlewild. It was fantastic for the weekend. And uh, my T-Mobile didn't miss it. My T-Mobile phone didn't miss it. You know, I wouldn't think you'd need a cell phone because you speak so loudly into a microphone. (laughs) Well, I had to look some stuff up. Just take it. Just take it down. I didn't know what brunch was. I can hear him. When the restaurant's open for brunch. Okay. uh, So I used uh, my T-Mobile coverage to check out brunch. That's all right. Anyway, wherever you are, you know, take it from the loud speaking Blay. If you're on the go, you want to be in the know, you want to make the show. What? Uh, T-Mobile. Okay. That's the one for you. That was I should weird. have rhymed it with go. Anyway, <laughs> find out more at tmobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. Fastest based on median overall combined 5G speeds according to analysis by Ookla of Speed Test Intelligence Data Q3 2023. See 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com. in today, Sona, I was thinking about just how much has changed over the years. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, we were all dancing the jitterbug and the Watusi. Okay. And then you grow up now and there's mosh pits and everything's gone <laughs> cuckoo. There's this new thing called rap. I don't know what's <laughs> happening anymore. But guess what? In a world full of change, there's one thing that hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. The great taste of Miller Lite. Are you with me on oh, this? Oh, yeah. I'm right there with you. Yeah. And you know, another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. Yeah. I hate a filling beer. Yeah. When I have a filling beer, I just want to sit down in a beanbag chair for six days, but not oh. with Miller Lite. So what's the best thing about the original light beer? Mm-hmm. Back in 1975, the big debate in America was what's more important, that it it's less filling, Miller Lite, or it tastes great. Yeah. The cool thing is when we all realized it's both. Okay. It's less filling and it tastes great. Yeah, all right. Everybody wins. Everybody wins. Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality. Great taste. Only 96 calories. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and it's less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com slash Conan. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Yeah. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer. lot of encounters with Rain Wilson when he has been recognized by people. And he has it made because he can be having lunch and someone will come up to the table and be like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Are you 
are you Rain Wilson? Are you Dwight from The Office? And he'll say, yes, go away. And people are like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, it felt like they had like a Dwight encounter. Yeah. But if someone came up to me at dinner and they were like, oh, my gosh, are you Jenna Fisher, Pam Beasley from The Office? And I said, yes, go away. They'd be like, well, now she is just awful. Yeah. So it, but so I really envy like Rain's sort of like character right. thing yeah. that he's writing because he can just be super grumpy and snarky and people are thrilled because they feel like they met Dwight. Yes. It's why you want to be Sean Penn because if someone comes up to you and says, hey, Mr. Penn, can I have your autograph? And you punch them. They're like, yes, yeah. I got punched by Sean Penn. He gave me the old Sean Penn treatment. Uh, you know, how classic. I'm going to autograph my fractured face. Jenna and I have been places together and they want a photo with Jenna and they want her to smile and be Pam. And then they pivot to me and I smile for the picture and they say, actually, could you do your Angela Martin face? (laughs) (laughs) So there's all these photos of Jenna smiling and I'm grumpy right next to her with the fan. Well, this is not so bad. It takes more energy to smile and uh, ages you faster. So, you know, that true. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely true. I just made that Sorry, up. Sorry, Jenna. I'm, I'm set. <laughs> Jenna, you're going to age very, very quickly. It hasn't happened yet, but very soon. All that smiling for people is going to, it's what's, I, I feel bad for you. Um, you connected with each other right away on the show. Describe that situation. Well, a lot of it has to do with our desks. The reception desk for me, for example, I was just all by myself, sort of in a little island. And Steve Carell's office was also kind of an island. And he and I would actually commiserate about how lonely our desks were. (laughs) But everybody else had a pod. Everybody else had a little clump of people that they could become friends with from the beginning. But besides no one, the closest person to me was Angela over this little partition between our desks. And very early on, we would pass each other notes and she, we became just kind of like little, she was the, like in a real office. She was physically closest to me. But then also we were always there all the time. We were in the background of each other's scenes. And so you never went back to your trailer by yourself. It, we were always in a group or together. But Angela and I would always manage to find one another. And just even just by the end of the first season, we had told each other our life stories because we had just the proximity and the amount of time. I mean, also, I really liked her. I really liked you, too. But you also, you had a tissue box, Jenna. I don't know if you remember, you had a little tissue box. And I didn't have any tissues out of my accounting clump. I don't know why, why they skimping on tissues over in accounting. And I would tiptoe over the partition. I remember I was like, can you pass me a tissue? And you passed me a tissue. This is so yeah. riveting. But we started talking. And then it just became my little perch. I would just perch on the partition and we'd chat it up. But you know, interesting to me, because, you know, there's that famous Escher drawing of a hand, drawing a hand, which is drawing a hand. It's one of those things you see in like mm-hmm. college dorm rooms. Uh, and it just goes on. It, it's, it's infinite. You're playing people that work in an office. It's not real, but they've constructed a realistic office to create that reality. Then because you two are sitting next to each other and there is a lot of tedium making a TV show. People don't know that, but especially like single camera show, like like The Office, there's a lot of getting setups, getting the lighting right. And you're sitting there and you're waiting. And like any office, because (laughs) there's someone on a partition next to you, you start to interact with them. Yeah. And I think our show, because the bullpen, when you have two cameras in that one big square room, 
they catch everything and everyone. One camera is going to have you in the shot. So it wasn't like a show where I have a scene with Jenna and it's just the two of us and everyone else can go take a break. That wasn't the case. We were all there all the time in each other's background of every shot. And we did. We we just all became really close. You put that many people in one little space day after day together. And before you know it, you guys know everything about each other. Here are my memories of the day that I was there. I'm waiting for them to set it up. And Steve Carell had to be in the background and he was sitting alone in his office with his big eyes and that kind of Steve Carell smile. And he was alone and no one was talking to him. He was just alone in that, what you said, that yeah. little, that cube. And he was smiling and it was, he looked like a toy that had been shut <laughs> off. <laughs> it looked like they were like, well, we don't sneeze Steve right now. So power him down. And they, they powered him down and he was just smiling with big eyes and he was sitting in there and waiting for someone to say, we need you now. <laughs> but I thought, unlike the rest of you, he was not in a bullpen. He wasn't in that common area. And it was an, a, sort of a weird quirk probably of his office day. It was just, you sit in here in this cube until we're ready for you. Well, you mentioned being up at the reception desk with me. I felt like I was the greeter of many guests that we had on our show. They would often right. be brought over to reception and I would had the task of chatting them up in the same way that an actual receptionist might chat up a guest as they waited, you know, to go into their meeting or something. There were all these weird ways where the lines were blurred or where we were had these actual, I don't know, the, the roles of what our characters would have really been like. People used to leave trash at front reception. Like they'd lean up and talk to Jenna and then leave their water bottle or like half a wrapper. Clean it up. <laughs> She'd be like picking up people's trash. You're they one of the stars steal my of pencils the and pens <laughs> and walk away with them just like real reception desks. <laughs> You never really, you played the part too well, you know, and uh, I think that's on you. But now you're having this experience of watching the show and you're both much younger than me and this is still closer to you. What is this trigger for you when you watch the show? Can you, do you remember ever what happened that day in your personal life? Uh, what is it, what comes to mind when you watch these? Are you able to detach yourself from what you see and just enjoy it like, any fan of The Office would? Well, I think it's an interesting combination, don't you, Jenna? It's like sometimes mm -hmm. now I'm watching an episode I haven't seen since it aired, and I'm just an audience. And it's so wonderful to watch it just as an audience. And then other episodes, I'm like, oh my gosh, I was hugely pregnant in that episode. And oh, our, my parents visit, visited that day and we all had lunch together. And there's there are episodes where I'm remembering my life. And that's bittersweet too. I've cried a few times rewatching just, you know, my father passed away a few years ago and um, I watched the episode that he had come to set and I didn't expect to remember that. And I have photos of that day that he was there. And so things just kind of sneak up on you as you're rewatching it. And um, it's just really been a wonderful experience. I've really enjoyed seeing the show as an audience and then also remembering all of these memories. I think that's really well said, Ange. I've had the same experience. I think when the episodes first came out, I was so close to them as an actor that I was still analyzing my choices or wondering, oh, which improv did they leave in? Because I could have remembered the three improvisations we did as a button to that scene. Well, I don't remember that stuff anymore. So now I can watch the episodes and not kind of pick apart my performance anymore. And that's really enjoyable. 
And then also what Angela said about just remembering big life moments of different cast members or behind the scenes moments that warm my heart. I'm in the section of the show now where I was falling in love with my husband. And um, I'll remember like, oh, my gosh, I remember that, you know, the morning that we shot this scene I had called him or something or we we had just said, I love you. Like you were like those little life moments do come up. It used to be that people would make the show and then they would send it out into the world and it was a one way street. And now we're in this world that I find kind of much more fascinating. You have a running dialogue with the people that are fans of your show. I appreciate you pointing that out about the fans, Conan, because, you know, when Angela and I conceived of the podcast, Our goal was that you would feel like you got to go to coffee with me and Angela, two of the stars of your favorite show. We're not going to get your coffee. You got to get it yourself. That's right. But you're with us. Once everyone got their own coffee. (laughs) Okay, I'm out. I'm not coming. (laughs) (laughs) But that we would answer all your questions and we would just bring you in and just let you tell you everything we can remember, tell you everything we know. And if we can't remember, we'll text Creed Mm -hmm. and find out or we'll call Ed and see if he'll get on the phone with you. And so that's kind of the spirit of the podcast is that we We are watching it again together with the fans and coming at it from that angle, I guess, right? That's the other thing, too, is that I think podcasts in particular, if if you're talking to people enough, they really do get the sense of who you are. Lauren Michael said to me once about my job of going on every night and doing a show, as he said, eventually everything that's in you comes out, meaning they're going to see who the real you is because there's no way to hide it. And I, I think- what you can do through the podcast is people really do know they're connecting with the two of you. And they know that by connecting with the two of you and having you speak so candidly about the show, they are then more entwined with the program. It keeps it alive. I, I mean, that was really that well I'm, said. I'm getting choked I know. Up. I was is like, that- God, that is like beautiful. <laughs> Someone writing that down? Because that was really beautiful. Um you know, for nice if you guys said something nice about me and how I <laughs> oh god, Sona, help me out here. You know, I mean, no, you're on your own. That's the opening for them <laughs> to say like, "That's so nice, Conan." You know, come to think of it, your show, what you've done, <laughs> is like a long Greek poem. If you <laughs> oh like bring them all together, you know, it's like a classic piece of literature. So embarrassing. But have you found have have when you're communicating with the fans and talking to them about the show? Do you ever hear things that really surprise you? I mean, sometimes, I mean, there's people that have very, very, like, serious beliefs on who the Scranton Strangler is. Right. There are fans that were positive that Angela and Roy hooked up and were like, no, we don't, they didn't hook up. I mean, I, she likes big guys. I don't know. But um, there are sometimes there's these fan theories that we come across that we're like, huh. But Jenna, I don't know. Have you been stumped? I'm trying to think. We do find out things like fans were super like mad at Jim sometimes for like they felt like he threw Pam under the bus or like people think that Pam was like mean to Karen. There's like a lot of like people get very invested in these relationships. You really believe that this is an ecosystem with real human beings in it and this is happening. And I think that probably contributes to the fervor. We just interviewed our cinematographer, Randall Einhorn, on the podcast, and something he talked about was the shooting style of The Office 
really contributing to that intimacy. He said, for example, in standard single camera comedies or in films, when there's a really intimate moment, the camera pushes in and gets a Mm -hmm. close up. But on The Office, we pulled back. And he said that he, in his days of working in actual documentaries, when you want a documentary, what is the word? Documentarian? No, when you want the subject (laughs) of your documentary to open up, if you create space, they're more likely to reveal their true thoughts and feelings because they don't have a big camera in their face, right? Yeah, yeah. So we did that all the time. We had these spy shots where we were spying on these characters. And so these moments of their life that you were finding out about, they did not feel presented. They did not feel presentational or like a show or like they were scripted. It really felt like we were catching Jim giving Pam a lingering look. And so the people, the characters feel more real. I I think The Office, in a way, comes across as more real to me than a reality show. Because I feel like when I'm being, I feel manipulated when I watch a reality show often. I can tell when they've told someone to break up with someone else or when, you know, Mm -hmm. it's all very ham-fested to me. But but I don't feel that way when I watch The Office. And it's shot like someone snagged it on their iPhone, which fits with how things are now. Yeah, yeah. yeah, We've talked to a lot of people that, we're part of making the show and they've said that, you know, Greg and Ken Quapis, who directed the pilot and sort of set the tone of the show, that they didn't mind if it looked a little messy. Like if the camera didn't land exactly where it was supposed to and then had to toggle back, so to speak, like it's supposed to land on Jim and Pam, but it overshot and got the copier and now had to find them. And maybe you caught a little bit of the boom and just sort of that messy look, so to speak, was welcomed. The flaw that makes the painting perfect. Yeah. You know, it's uh it's it's the small inconsistency that makes you appreciate the whole. And I and I also think that it really makes you feel like you're catching something you weren't supposed to see as opposed to comedy that's kept right in the center of the camera all the time and hits on cue and a studio audience applauds because an applause light went off. Could you imagine Jenna like walking onto our soundstage and like Dwight enters and like almost like Kramer on Seinfeld and we all have to like hold for laughter and then Dwight gives a zinger to Jim. It'd be so surreal. No, if a couple of you guys made a sitcom style uh, episode of The Office that had that proscenium feel where you walked in and there was loud applause and you'd start your line, but then have to wait <laughs> and then give your line again. And then there was a big, you know, someone else enters and then, a, a you know, the Harlem Globetrotters enter as, as the surprise celebrity <laughs> guest. And it's all, I mean, I used to, it, it makes me crazy now. Shows like The Office have made it hard for me to watch older TV because I'll notice how they eat lunch. Like on Murphy Brown, they're all supposed to be the most important news people in New York City. And they're supposed to be like they're 60 minutes, they're giant, they're huge. And it's time for them to go eat lunch. And there was a table and they all had to sit around. It's an half an oval <laughs> and they all have to cram around one half of it because it's a multi-camera show and the, they have, all have to be facing the audience and they're all eating little sandwiches. And you're like, wait a minute, you're supposed to be Diane Sawyer and you're hot, you're crammed in there with like the janitor and you're all eating little sandwiches and you have to be facing out because that's where the audience is. Whereas, you know, you should do that. That I know this is a huge waste of your time, but make a <laughs> 1970s or 80s sitcom style version of The Office. I'll fund it. Yeah, you'll all get paid hundreds of dollars. 
and uh, I will whatever proceeds I'll sort of take off you know my share off the top and then we'll find a charity <laughs> I'm in if there's anything left over the charity um well this has been a delight this has been an absolute delight uh and I I'm, I'm, my only regret is that we didn't get to all be in the same room when we did this because um I see you at the podcast studio and thought like oh this is a natural we should all get together and maybe someday you'll let me sit in on your podcast um silence nothing okay. all right no, no no don't worry about it it's okay i'm busy guess what i'm busy too i'm busy too i got a lot going on um but it would be it would be nice to do this in person but uh i think it's you guys are doing something really interesting and cool and uh and i will tell you just in my household alone how much joy you and your cast and greg and all those amazing writers all that joy it's just it's nice to see I love watching my son and my daughter see really good comedy the way it's supposed to be done and understand that that's the way it's supposed to be done. Like that makes me so happy. So well, I thank I, you. Thank you. I'll tell you, Conan, when I was growing up, Cheers was the show that I watched with my mom and dad. And I love it when parents tell me that they watch The Office with their kids because I have these just really warm memories. You know, when I was a teenager, I, there's not much I wanted to talk to my parents about but I wanted to sit on the couch and watch Cheers with them. And yeah. so when I imagine that the office might be the thing that brings a whole family together, it really means a lot to me. Yeah, it's cool. And I cannot tell you, I know this sounds like a fuddy-duddy thing to say, but it really is not. I There's so many times where I'm watching something with my kids that I think is going to be cool or fine or I'm safe. And then suddenly uh, the show takes an insane turn and uh, it's very upsetting or sexually explicit or crazy, and uh, I'm diving in slow motion towards the remote control to try and change the channel. And it's nice because The Office is edgy, and I think it does thoroughly explore all of the parameters of the human experience, but I know I can watch it with my kids, and I'm not going to be disappointed. I'm not going to, something horrible isn't going to happen that I we all have to leave the room and, and leave by separate exits, you know, which yeah. is, used to happen sometimes when I was a kid. Or like you also don't have to pretend like you're loving a show that they love, like just mm -hmm. to bond with them, because there's right. that too. I mean, I I'm a parent of young kids, so I've watched a lot of episodes of Paw Patrol where I like feign great interest in the yeah. plot. But I'm I mean, listen, no, no dig on Paw Patrol it is. Wow, really a good why show are for you kids. hating on Paw Patrol? But I'm just, I'm just saying, like, like the office is a thing where like everybody is genuinely enjoying it and being entertained and no one is like pretending that they love it. If there's a kid's show that needs to go, it's Caillou. Oh, Caillou. Why? Caillou? What did Caillou. you like about Caillou? I didn't like Caillou. He's it's an odd looking boy, and I the rhythm of it's wrong, and something's very <laughs> wrong laugh. in Caillou's world. <laughs> yeah, and something's very wrong with Caillou. And I used to have to watch Caillou with my daughter, and um, I it's the most upsetting cinema I've ever seen. I'm gonna even include cinema, it's and disturbing. I've seen some really rough snuff films. Uh, it is a <laughs> disturbing. Caillou is very disturbing. Um, please, well, please don't watch we're Caillou. We're going to make sure your kids get that photo when you came to set. And I will tell you guys, if um, any of the cast of The Office is hearing this, um, if you need your soap dish moment, Sally Field goes to the mall to get recognized. If you need that moment, just go to a middle school. I mean, don't be a creeper. But like I had to tour middle schools with my stepson and they asked me to leave the classroom because yeah. 
we're we're killing it in junior high, guys. Killing it, killing it in junior high. I've uh, do well in prisons. We don't know why <laughs> prisons, prisons, and anywhere where people are detoxing. And clearly, That's... anywhere people get their coffee. <laughs> Any place where someone has to get their coffee. Uh, all right, Angela and Jenna, thank you so much for doing this. Congratulations on your podcast is drawing. It's killing it. It's a monster. As we say in Boston, it's a monster. <laughs> and um, I'm very happy for both of you and happy that you could make the time for me. This is cool. Well, thank this you was- so much. We we have wanted to come on your show for so long. And we just, Conan, my gosh, it's been decades. I feel like you've just been this mentor in my life for so long. And I'm so thrilled to be sitting here talking to you. And I can't wait to tell my friends I was on your show. And I'm just forever, forever a fan. Yeah, we were really geeking out when we got this invitation, Conan. Oh, that's that's. <laughs> That's sweet. They read that just as I wrote it. Uh, <laughs> you tell them to say this at the end and they better get every word right. All right, ladies, have a great day. Thank you so much. Stay safe. And uh, I, I hope I hope to see you soon in person. That'd be fun. Yes. Yeah. All right. You know, it's only a matter of time until your check engine light comes on, which could equal an expensive repair bill, and a new engine can cost up to $6,000. Don't I know it. But this is why you need this product I'm about to mention right now. Okay. CarShield. Mm. CarShield offers plans with low monthly rates that you can pay for your expensive repairs on your out-of-warranty car, truck, or SUV. It's so nice to have that protection of CarShield. I know. I believe. That's my belief. Some people have other beliefs, maybe religious beliefs. I think Car Shield. Car Shield plans provide protection on up to 5,000 major parts and systems, including items like transmission, mm. engine, even your entertainment system. Mm. Just call Car Shield and choose the mechanic to do the work. Car Shield administrators will handle the rest and save you money. Look, I saw your car today. You've got a beautiful car, but you've got to haul your family around in this yeah. car. This is a vital piece of machinery for you. You need Car Shield. I do. And you know, I you know I don't take care of my cars very well. So Car Shield it would definitely come in. You know, and also with their A rating from the BBB, don't ask me. Car Shield is the name you can trust to save you money on covered auto repairs. Now's the time to make the smart choice and protect yourself from the sky-high auto repair bills. Visit carshield.com/conan. Save 20% today. Again, that's carshield.com/conan to save 20%. Visit carshield.com slash Conan to lock in your price today. Come on, if most people are being honest, no one really knows what you do for work, right? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, especially if you're in a, what I like to call B2B. Oh, you know? what, what is that? I'll explain. Okay. That's a business doing business with other businesses. You know what I'm saying? I call it B2B. It's a little thing. It's also, uh, it's a boy band I'm working on. (laughs) Anyway, fortunately, LinkedIn has a network of professionals who get what you do and you can reach the right people who matter most to your company because they're LinkedIn. Yeah, That's what they do. LinkedIn has over, this is the fun part to say, one billion members. Are you serious? Yeah, that's not that's more people than are on Earth because there are people on the moon using it and Saturn. <laughs> that's one over one billion members on its platform, including 70 million decision makers. God, I'd like to meet a decision maker. Since LinkedIn <laughs> members are regularly updating their work history, you can precisely build a target audience by job title, industry, company, and more. Man, you can reach the right people for your, I'm gonna say it again, B2B business 
with LinkedIn ads. Yeah. Gets even better because LinkedIn will give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Mm. There you go. Just go to linkedin.com slash team Coco to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash team Coco. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. We have a quick voicemail that I think is important. Let's take a listen. Hi, Conan. It's your longtime fan slash uh, fantasy lover here. I don't really have a question. I just wanted to say, <laughs> That's all. Thank you. Bye. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know what's so funny? I've never, I've never met this woman. But I've never been more attracted to anyone. She sounds <laughs> Was per- it the fantasy lover or the fact that she's yelling cockroach? Well, she had, she intrigued me when she said, I'm your fantasy lover. But then when she said, ah, uh, I knew that this is my soulmate and I must immediately, I must immediately go and have the talk with my wife. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and say, okay. after 19 years, you've been, uh, we've had a great marriage and I love you very much. And I didn't think this could happen, but a woman I've never met just over the phone said, to me, and I must now <laughs> abandon you and our children and everything that so far has been the most important thing in my life, and I must find her. <laughs> <laughs> Between Kakaroo, Magoosh, and Kedekai. I'm a goosh. Uh, you have your fans saying the most, like the most insane gibberish. Yeah, it's like a, officially a cult now. Okay, I so know. here's another one. I was in, you know, we shoot the show at the, now during quarantine, uh, we've been shooting it at the Largo Theater, and there's a little courtyard there. And because of COVID, we all wear masks inside and distance and do all the things that we want to do to keep everyone safe. Whenever we can, we go out into the little courtyard, so we're outside, which feels uh, safe. So I go out into the courtyard, and that's where I get uh, some makeup put on and sort of chill in between shooting and doing Zoom calls with celebrity guests. And I was sitting in there, and the courtyard looks out onto the street, and there's a little iron gate there. And this guy just walks by. I want to say he was about 19 years old. This guy walks by, and he passes the little portal that looks out onto the street, and then I see him come walk backwards and stare at me for a second. And he goes, Conan! And I said, because he, he was just noticing me for the first time. And I went, yeah. And he went, Katakai! Oh. As God made her. Finally. And I was like, yes! Oh. Yes! And then he was like, bye. <laughs> Kept walking. But I loved that. I loved that, sir. Oh, my God. God bless you. Weren't you you originally supposed to give them like a $10 bill or something? Or am I making that up? Well, thanks for bringing it up, asshole. (laughs) Uh, I don't remember what I said, and you'll have to look into legal for that. But um, no, it was just this great way to connect where if someone says to me, Magoosh or Katakai or uh, uh, now it's Kakaroo, uh, (laughs) I mean, I'm happy with any of it. I'm just thrilled. And uh, who was it the other day? I think it was my head writer was saying, how are we going to know? Because we, we got into the subject of, of people going senile or having, as they get older and and mentally slipping. And, and my head writer, Matt, Matt said, how are we going to know when that's happening to you? Because you act you know, insane all the time. And it's a constant stream of bibble and babble that comes out Mm -hmm. of your mouth. So how are we going to know? And then he said, probably 
when you start acting reasonably. Yeah. Like, and, and then he imagined me, like, we started talking about it and laughing about it, but basically the writers coming in one day and me meeting with them and uh, me saying, hey, everybody, uh, it's really good to see you and I hope you had a good weekend. We should probably get down to work. They're going to immediately oh. jump on a phone <laughs> and call 911 and say, uh, there's a male here uh, who's had a massive cerebral <laughs> event. Yep, yep. And I'll be saying, uh, well, I'm happy to go to the hospital, but in the meantime, please, I hope all of you are well and uh, let's get as much work done as we can. <laughs> it's so creepy. Isn't that weird? Even you pretending is creepy. Yeah. Off-putting, it's disconcerting. But then they, do it, then they do an emergency surgery and I'm in a coma for a while and then slowly I come out and all of you are gathered around the bed and all of a sudden, I just, my eyes open for a second. You're all looking at me and I go, a kakaroo! (laughs) And everyone's like, he's he's back! back. We're all hugging each other. (laughs) I'm a goosh! (laughs) Kajakai as God made her! Yay! Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend with Sonam Obsessian and Conan O'Brien as himself. Produced by me, Matt Gorley. Executive produced by Adam Sachs, Joanna Solitaroff, and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon at Earwolf. Theme song by The White Stripes. Incidental music by Jimmy Vivino. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, and our associate talent producer is Jennifer Samples. The show is engineered by Will Becton. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might find your review featured on a future episode. Got a question for Conan? Call the Team Coco hotline at 323-451-2821 and leave a message. It, too, could be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. <laughs>